Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Bird, and you're up. What's up, Jake? What's going on, Mark? How you been, man? Pretty good. Time for another uh, session of therapy, reef therapy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's nice not to force ourselves to do it every week because then when we take a week off, like the next week is like, oh man, I have so much to talk about and I can't wait to jump into it. Yeah, I think, you know, we all listen to different podcasts and on, on different things other than Reef. And it's the ones where they're like, they're forced by schedule to always come up with a topic. It gets sometimes weak, you know, because you're, you're pushing, you're, you're pushing it too much. Whereas it's sort of like forcing a conversation versus having it occur naturally, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I actually just discovered a really good podcast. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It's um, I think it's called watercolors something, something, something. Uh, I think it's, it's funny because it, it sounds like two or three young staffers at this aquarium store in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I listened to one that they had a conversation with, um, I think his name is Bill Backus from A&M Aquatics. I suppose that um, name sounds familiar. And uh, that was a great like saltwater conversation that discussed a lot about uh, just kind of like the current state of things and Hawaii and the, the like the cost of fish right now is like all freight, all freight and handling fees. It's not even how much the fish costs. It's just how much it costs to get to the consumer. And I also listened to an episode they did on uh, just epistogrammas and it was so nerdy and, you know, they did their research beforehand, so they kind of went uh, into the deep end of the pool a little bit. But, man, I just I really appreciated it. So it's, it's kind of rare for me to find some other content producers, uh, creators, um, who produce content that I really enjoyed. I think I – I mean, it took me all day to digest the uh, the, the one I did with Bell Backus. But, uh, man, it's really good. They have a lot of episodes, and uh, I'm looking forward to listening to more. I got to check that out because uh, especially when you mentioned, you know, uh, apistos. I got into them for a little, little bit for a while there. Um, yep. but I just uh, got some apistos last weekend. Which ones you get? Um, so Sumer Tiwari, he is a local aquarist who he doesn't do too many different kinds of freshwater fish. Yeah, I mean, I guess he kind of does. He's got wild discus. He has altums, zebra placos, um, uh, leopard frog placos, and then a whole suite of like small betas and pistos. Leopard frog are one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, they're way. pretty cool. So he's bred everything, man. Uh, he hasn't bred the discus. I think he's working on spotting the altums, but he's raised um, the red whiptail catfish. Mm-hmm. Um, he's raised leopard frogs, and um, so and he's raised uh, zebra placos. So he came by to drop off five um, locally grown homemade zebra placos. So I have, I'm up to eight now, and um, he also gave me again some uh, epistogramma lulingi that are descendants of um some specimens that he personally collected i believe in peru like i don't know over five six years ago so he gave me a pair about five years ago that i had for a long time i think the female died within the last year yeah so he dropped off a couple more pairs nice they're like a cockatoides without any color. <laughs> they're not, they're, they're, I mean, they're not something you're going to have, like, even in the best of form. They're, you're, there's not going to be a wow photo. They're neat. Yeah. 
And I liked the story that, you know, they're descendants of, of Sumer's original stock. So that was pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Uh, so today, well, first let's start off talking about, I mean, you, you just dived in a bit on the freshware side, but tell me something new going on with your uh, plethora of free things. You know, everything's doing super good. I... You know, when I when I put the brakes on acquiring new stock, I can focus on making my existing collection that much healthier. And following on the initial successes of treating the unidentified uh, pathogen that was uh, occurring in my euphilia tank, mm-hmm. um, just to bring people back up to speed. Um, I introduced some sort of freshly wild torch corals to my euphilia garden. And then very, a couple weeks later, like slowly, like I lost one torch polyp and then different torch polyp. And then one galaxia went, lost one polyp and it was like, it looked so bad. So I reef primered it and that seems to like burn off the infection initially. And then I kept um, the torchy frog spawn. So frog spawn with like a, just a touch of, of torch in its appearance and the galaxia in a hospital tank with um, a new type of antibiotic. Um, so the initial prescription was for like, I think a 30 minute or an hour bath. But someone else I talked to was doing overnight dips, just like just overnight holding. Oh. I literally kept them in the hospital tank with the tiniest three five watt led light uh for about three weeks and i just took him out i just just now took him out and uh put him back around and um so yeah it's, it's actually really encouraging to make some some progress in that department um yeah yeah that's where i'm at with the stock that's good um uh and i picked up some used corals man used corals are the freaking best so I went to a store that had some that's uh, Merman's Reef in uh, Lakewood, I believe, mm-hmm. that had, uh, you know, it's really well known locally for lots of tank trade-ins. And I got a handful of used corals from the tank teardown, including a large colony, a colony, like a six inch across colony of Oregon tort. Like if you're a coral farmer and you know how much you can get per frag, you don't even want to know <laughs> what I got this colony for. Um, a large colony of, what else did I get? Um, oh, a nice, like, like tank grown plating lithophylon, but with really fleshy tentacles. So if you just glance at it, it looks like a really established fungia and, uh, yeah, like a Monty and, um, I've been reaching out to a lot of locals. So I went and visited, uh, a guy I'd never met, I went and visited his tank on Monday night. Yeah. Um, came home with a, a couple of frags. When he comes over, I'll do the same. Went and visited another new guy that I'd never met last night. Got a couple of used corals, including, um, a couple large, uh, sun polyp zoanthid colonies. And once again, when he comes over, I'm going to bloat him up too. And, uh, that's where I'm at. That's the last couple of weeks of, uh, tanking for me. Nice. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a big success. Uh, it's the wild corals that make me gun shy, right? With yeah. fresh parasites. But when something is tank grown and it looks amazing, um, you can be pretty freaking assured it didn't get that way by carrying uh, an infection or any kind of parasites along the way. What yeah, about you? True, What's up? Right? Um, I've, I'm trying to grow my, uh, fish population a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think it was a few podcasts back. We were just talking about. I, I don't know if we talked about it at length, but just 
how you can be in this hobby for 20 plus years and you know you always have your eye on what's rare or or new but yep. then you kind of look back and realize like crap i've never kept and then just insert something that's relatively common in the trade right harlequin tusk right good example australian harlequin tusk i have never kept a copper band butterfly fish so i was like i'm dude i joined one. the club i joined the club uh Three months ago, yeah, nice. twenty plus years of reefing, never had one. Um, my wife works at a you know one of the nicer stores in town. There was this small one that was covered in lympho, and I'm just like I'm not I don't I don't I'm not worried about herpes on fish. <laughs> and uh, she brought it in, and it just decimated every last polyp of Aptasia. There's no big ones, there's no small ones. Um, he did such a good job. I actually transferred him from one coral flat to another, and then a few weeks later we got another one. So I just joined the copper band club nice. uh, recently. So, but you Same got a wavelength. copper band. Yeah. I mean, he's in my uh, quarantine tank for now, just trying to get him more voracious about eating before he has to, you know, basically uh, put up with all the boisterous fish in my big tank. Um, so tell me about your quarantine tank. Is it a quarantine tank or more of like a conditioning aquarium? It is quarantine. And I know there's some okay. recently a lot of people are against prophylactic treatments and all that. I'm not too scared of ick. Uh, mm -hmm. Luke's freak me out. Uh, obviously velvet freaks me out, but m m for me, it's more about the flukes and stuff that, that you don't see. Um, so I do treat with Prazi and, and, uh, and then I have some chloroquine, uh, phosphate on mm -hmm. hand. Uh, I still had some. So I know it's kind of hard to get, but it's uh, it's a relatively easy thing to dose and and handle any ectoparasites without freaking out. You know, like it's I, I find copper kind of stressful to deal with. Um, but I mean, he's eating well. Um, I ordered black worms, which I haven't fiddled with since I had was like live black. Worms. Yeah, you remember those That's, things? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I used them intermittently. All my career, I do know when COVID's first hit, combined with the heat waves like last year, they weren't available at all. Yeah. So I just haven't had them around much. Yeah, I uh, I heard good things about them, especially for coaxing um, uh, copper bands to eat, but he has Dude, zero interest fish. in them. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Butterfly fish, they can't resist. No, they won't touch them. Um, but this stuff, uh, which I've always kind of, kept on hand because i like feeding it the the mastic stuff mm -hmm. um and this is not the kind you gotta grind you gotta make yourself there's just like little pellets yes uh, yes yes so i just mash that into a seashell throw it on the bottom of the tank and he goes crazy so at no least way. i got him eating that but he's not interested in anything in the water column yet so oh but, wow so i have some mastic i've used for certain like finicky fish or when i really want to get something like grazing yeah um, and i do keep it on the shelf i don't use it like all the time it's not a staple but for tricky fish when you're trying to uh coax them to get with the aquarium program yeah. how long have you had your copper man um since last friday and he's, he's already eating mastic yeah Oh, wow, that's awesome. Did it take him a couple tries or did, did they No, just he go went for it? right for it, which shocked me. I mean, the black worms, he was just like, nah, even though it's like a wiggly worm in the water. That's uh, very surprising. Yeah. Um, but he won't touch mycid shrimp. He won't touch um, what? Arctic pods. He won't Your touch. Your fish is broken. I know. And I'm a little worried <laughs> about that because I'm like, you know, once, once he goes in the big tank, I can't just put like mastic in a corner just for him. All the other fish are going to go nuts for yeah. it too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm just trying to get him, you know, fatten him up and get him ready for that. So hopefully he makes it. 
uh, you know, he his uh, I, my regal was like that for like months. He would sh- just eat crap that I put in seashells. And then one day it was like a eureka moment where he was like, why don't I just eat what everybody else is eating? <laughs> you know? Why don't I just follow all the examples all around me? I know. Uh, so I'm hopeful. But uh, but yeah, so I'm going to give that a try. Um, so one thing I want to put in your ear is I have divorced from Prazi Pro. Yeah, that stuff sucks. It's- I use the, um, the other one, uh, the powder one. Oh, Okay, so you're on the uh, the Prazi Powder program. Yep. Oh, nice. So, so just for the listeners and viewers, um, uh, Prazi Quantal apparently it just has a, a limited shelf life in solution, and with the issues that I had with the fish tank, um, I really leaned harder into Prazi Powder, and you have to mix it with a little bit of alcohol before you put it in the tank. And man, that was just like. It was the effect that I always looked for for from Prazi Pro. I will never use Prazi Pro again. Yeah, like if somebody gives me a big, big stacks of Prazi Pro, I would literally just throw them away. Just it doesn't seem nearly as effective. And the thing that's super interesting is, it doesn't seem to affect the biology of the tank at all. It doesn't seem to irritate yeah. the fish at all. Um, my understanding and discussions with some other more fish pathologist type. Um, aquarist is that it's apparently super gentle on uh, the biology of the fish and uh, that's my new uh, lethal weapon for uh, quarantining so I'm glad you're already with the program yeah the um, the liquid stuff that um, I think who makes it um, uh, Hikari Hikari yeah uh, somebody brought up that the liquid suspension or the oil that it's in mm-hmm. um is equivalent to like a heavy carbon dose. So yeah. it can starve your tank of oxygen with bacteria, whereas the powder doesn't have that problem. Um, so yeah, I switched over to the powder as well. As a side note, um, except for copper, anytime I treat antibiotics or pr- when I use Prazi Pro or now with the Prazi powder, I just add like a ridiculous amount of aeration. Not a bunch of air stones, but like a really big pump, one air stone to just really keep those extra oxygen levels high. Yeah. Yeah, you can't go wrong. You know what's great for Q-tanks is those little box filters we used to use in the freshwater days. Everybody's all about sponges. (laughs) You know, those. like I'm not into sponges anymore. I like those little box filters and I just fill them up with... um, Internal? uh, Internal box filter? Yeah, it's air stone driven, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, I see what you're ringing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people used to put, like, uh, filter wadding and stuff in there. But I just filling them up with, like, some uh, some biomedia, right? Like the rocky, heavy kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, every, you know, denitrate from CKM, you pick your poison, whatever. Yeah, um, Matrix. Matrix, yeah. Um, but those are great because you can just aerate the crap out of your tank and all that water is flowing through a nice biomedia. I don't, I don't know. Sponge filters obviously work great, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just use power filters, and honestly, like um, my coral hospital tank has a power filter on it with just a bio wheel. There's nothing inside the filter. Like the coral is the filter; it's not putting out any waste. I kept the uh, the large frog spawn with a touch of torch and the galaxy in there for over three weeks, like almost a month, with the tiniest light. No no real biological filtration or mechanical filtration or chemical at all. That one didn't even have an airstone. Those corals looked amazing the last three weeks with their tiny little light. <laughs> it was really surprising. Nice. Yeah. So I'll, I'll get on my front. I mean, I'm traveling again next month, so I don't want to get 
too crazy with fish and coral and then yeah. you know, go away for a week. So yeah. um, October, I'll probably something. go big. <laughs> yeah. Every time and then, you add something, you're just, something like your wrong. wife said, upsetting yep. the harmony. <laughs> it's true, man. I know Don't I saw some a... pre-quarantine fish and I was like, oh, I could just add those straight up. I'm like, you know, that's not going to work out. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like reefing for so long. I don't know how many times we both have probably been like, oh, I can get away with that. And just days later, massively regret it. Mm-hmm. Massively. I, I mean, to me, it's just like not even a thing. It's not even an option. It's not even on the table to add a fish straight to the tank. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to be the kind that could transition a fish to like what you talk about, like a conditioning, kind of like a little mini reef where he can go get fat and mm-hmm. whatever. You know, I, I do have a large refugium, so I could put him in there, but uh, I'd love to have all that. But for me, the, the just lightweight prophylactic treatment, yeah. like you said, with some prazi powder and I like the chloroquine. I just feel it gives me a little more peace of mind. And I don't think my tank is ick free. So the minute that fish enters that tank, he's going to have to deal with something. But, yeah, you know, I, I know people, some people are like, oh, if the, you know, the, the fish can, its immune system, whatever, can fight whatever. But to me, like a parasite that latches onto your gills, you know, no, or no, intestinal, no, no. like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. let my dog live with tapeworm, right? It's right. just, I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah. So, uh, I'd rather just nip those things in the bud. Anyway. So, um, before we dive into our major topic, I just want to give a small shout out to Aqua Rocks. I'm giving the shout out because I wore the shirt. Now, I'm not wearing the shirt because I planned a shout out. But as soon as you asked me about my shirt, I was like, oh, I should show off these new magnetic um, uh, structures that I really like. Um, you know, you can't really tell on video, but these are black. So these, they, they come in a wide range of shapes. I, you know, I'll pull out the fanciest one to start. Um, but they're black and they have just like, you know, a little bit of pink accents. It'd be, I'd be all right if they didn't have that. But, um, they're, I guess they're kind of like a resin type of material, but mm-hmm. not like, so what I really love about these besides their appearance is they're lightweight. So I've had some, some frag racks from people made out of ceramic or kind of like a, a heavy resin or, um, almost like like dense silicone, and they're so heavy that you need stronger magnets to hold them mm-hmm. up. And then I have one or two examples of a coral that's grown over the entire thing and gotten heavy enough to drag it down to the point where like the magnetic part didn't even work anymore. So I'm really uh, I have a couple of these in tanks and I have a few out of the tank. Um, but man, this is actually I mean. You, you you skip the whole like white rock or white structure turning dirty or turning green or brown and just go straight to black with some pink accents. Um, really nice. The only thing uh, I would do a little bit differently is um, the frag plugs are all drilled with a slight backwards angle. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, ideally that's, that's pretty good, you know, when you have it normally, but you know me, I can't do things normal. <laughs> so I, there's certain shapes that I wanted to use upside down, but now those holes are pointed backwards. So I think in the future, I'd like to encourage them to just drill straight vertical so that basically they have a convertible, um, coral mounting station. Yeah. And I know, I know it's not a sponsored thing. Like you're just endorsing something you like, but I got to check those out as well. Uh, Cause, um, my little coral quarantine, I was, I'm trying to redo that and mm-hmm. not have crap on the bottom. So I was thinking about, you know, just having magnetic frag racks and then I can just keep it, you know, yeah, no, this clean. is totally not sponsored. And that would be a lot more attractive than like egg crate, right? 
they sent me some shapes um, after a show earlier this year, and I asked them because like they, they, they're, they're cool and they're lightweight, and it's one of those things because it's darker colored and because it's lighter. I just think it's going to fit very well as an add-on to like the you know the primary aquascapes and several of my tanks. Cool. Yeah, man. All right, we have a fun topic lined up for this one. I hope uh, people like it as much as we do. Um, I've been doing my research, and I've been doing a little bit of solo therapy. Um, oh man, it's uh, especially t- today when when people are spouting off uh, what they think they know <laughs> on social media in various forms, and it's just like uh, it's um, gets my blood boiling a little bit to you know to see a sarcophyte and being called a Lobophytum, but you think that you would think that would be so easy to differentiate. So anyway, I just set that aside. And every night I've been reading some old content, some old literature. So I have um, a volume of um, the aquarium. This is 1953, oh, nice. so it's yeah. all the issues in here, and it's just delightful, polite aquarium conversation. There's not a lick of saltwater discussion in here. Um, this all freshwater, but it's just, man, it's just like a back to the old days of, um, I remember just really appreciating fish. I mean, there's little profiles on little barbs and small rasboras and different paradise fish that they're just now discovering in 1953. Um, I think there's a, a preview in there of the first under gravel filter. And it wasn't called an underground filter. It was called something like Arlo's filtration and booster or something. (laughs) So um, this has been fun therapy for me. And then to to supplement that and get a little bit more saltwater, going back to my 80s and 90s uh, FAMAs, Freshwater Marine Aquarium. And uh, this is a great issue with the narcosis on the cover. And there's, you know, great conversation and discussions in here by Rich Pyle and Dana Riddle and uh, Bruce Carlson. And it's just, it's just delightful. <laughs> it's just really delightful. So you'll laugh at this. Um, when I moved from one house to another, uh, I lost my entire collection of Famas no. going back to, I think, 1990. Mm. Um, and I was what do you mean you lost them? You misplaced them or they got wet? Uh, no. So my theory is, because I can't, you know, I've never been able to find them, is we would have like trash boxes and then we'd have oh. boxes to move. And I think oh. that they were mistaken because they're magazines, you know, for trash. Um, yeah. And I also lost a bunch of my TFH books, like the old Herbert Axelrod, you no. know, crazy freshwater books. But Anyway, I I'm at one point I started like going eBay hunting and I started buying up all these old Fama magazines. Don't, don't tell them. Don't tell everybody. I'm oh, still trying yeah. to get some myself. <laughs> I know. No, but if anyone now they're going to be as expensive as like uh, you know corals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, but if you want to, here's the thing. I don't. You don't really learn new information no, by reading yeah. these old books, but they can tickle your brain and stimulate different ways of looking at things and just putting yourself in the, their shoes back then. Um, just, it, it really helps to put into perspective everything we've achieved and how we're doing things today. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, this is really, um, informative, enriching literature. And, um, I just, I'm really enjoying it. I'm making sure to just read a, you know, just a handful of pages, um, every night. And the thing about famine, dude, this magazine right here is 250 pages. 
sure, there's a lot of ads, but I'll get through like 50 pages and I, I look at the ads carefully and there's like, you know, there's, there's like life reef ads in here. And I just got life, an email from Jeff Turchek today talking about some sumps and some skimmers and he's, you know, down the road. So it's kind of cool to see one of, at least one of those companies um, still going strong. One of the best, the, the thing that um, I, if I was going to say any artist set of articles that triggered the reef keeping bug in me when I was already a freshwater hobbyist, obviously I go into the store see saltwater stuff, see corals, not a lot of corals, right? But uh, I, I mean, I was always intrigued by that, right? But it just, yeah, I was like wet dry filters and, you know, it just was out of my league as a kid. But in Aquarium Fish Magazine, I don't know if you recall this, uh, Delbeek wrote like a multi-part series and every month was like a different, like he would cover lighting, he would cover filtration. And that was really the trigger point for me because his examples were like, for example, like he brought, he had pictures of Julian's 15 gallon tank. I think his tank that he showed showcase was only like 30 something gallons, mm -hmm. but it was like a real eye opener of just, uh, more or less the Berlin method, but in a consumable format, you know, whereas in FAMA, I did, you know, love my FAMA and there was a lot of debates going on with the wet dry crowd and, all that, but like I loved how succinctly he just covered each piece of like if you're coming from nowhere, right? Like this is what you need to know. So right. I wish I still had those. I would love to go reread those and and just see, you know, if how I romanticize those articles in my head if they're still as great as they are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but well, it's also the excitement of discovery. Like right now, I think the industry is and the hobby overall is inundated with with product offerings and design ideas and so many freaking corals. Whereas like, you know, in the, the olden days and they were lucky to find one tank at every fourth fish store they went to that actually just had salt water and it would have had the fish, the, the few corals and like lots of invertebrates. But, um, so do you want to tell the, the viewers what we're uh, discussing today? Yeah. So the, the, more generic way, but we'll get pretty deep into it, is um, different kinds of, I, I don't even want to say reef aquariums, right? Different kinds of marine, marine aquarium. aquariums. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the history of how things were very different at some point, depending on where you went or what. Um, and then just the way things evolved over time. Um, so I think we can break that down in three ways. Um, maybe talk about historically which, you know, was probably very limited. Um, then geographically, before everything got homogenized, and yep. then kind of current. So we just want to kind of cover the different types of aquariums um, in the past and around the world and nowadays. Um, yeah, just kind of talk about some of the different um, characteristics and attributes of specific kinds of tanks. Yeah. Are you, uh, here's the thing. We don't have great documentation on the oldest tanks if you want to go way back i know victorian tanks in the 18 late 1800s early 1900s um they were mostly cool water 
you know, and they would just, whatever they could get by the seashore and they would have their servants go get, go fetch, go fetch some, some seawater from the ocean, uh, <laughs> from the sea. Um, but I don't think we have to go back that far. I was about to say, like, I, I think <laughs> I remember reading that the Romans would keep moray eels in saltwater ponds or something like that, but <laughs> that's pretty far back. <laughs> Probably regular eels to eat, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I do have a book called, um, I think it's called History of the Toy Fish. And that one really starts way, 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 way back and then brings it up to um, about the 1950s, if you want um, more of a listen. But where where do you think your your image of, of a, a contemporary saltwater aquarium starts? Late 80s. Um, I was not a reef keeper. I was a kid. Uh, but I had my magazine subscriptions. Um, mm-hmm. I was a freshwater hobbyist, you know, admiring saltwater aquariums from afar. Um, and, um, you know, witnessing the transformation of the American side of the hobby by the European trends, that was, a, mm-hmm. a, that was something cool to see. And I, I say real time, but real time back then meant like getting next month's subscription <laughs> in the mail, like a month apart and listening one to debates and editorials. And um, how about one you? One thing that's super funny is, is going through this magazine from 1994 and seeing, you know, modern looking ads. I instinctively like scanned down the bottom of the ad looking for that URL. Even though I know it's not there, I'm just Doesn't always exist. like, oh, I'm like, oh, they still in business? Oh, wait, this is even before websites. I think we can wind it back just a little bit more to the 60s and 70s. Sure. You know? Um, I just don't have then, any, uh, you know, I, I was not, I was not me alive, either. you know, or. And there's very little documentation. Yeah. But we, we do know that people kept saltwater fish. Yeah. They tried. You know, they had a lot of, a lot of, uh, I mean, you talk to anybody who kept a saltwater fish tank back then, and they would tell you how hard it was, you know, but they didn't have, I mean, the best they would have was maybe underground filters and some canisters to go with it, maybe. You know, I don't think hang on the back uh, power filters were really a thing yet. Mm. Um, the, when the did Super the King, Supreme uh, Aqua um, the, filter, whatever I don't think those, those were safe for saltwater. Oh, Okay. Yeah, they, they had, you know, an external motor that was totally exposed to the air. So if it does, you know, if it's not going to go into water, it's not going to even succumb. It's not going to, not even going to, going to hang. But yeah, I think, um, it's safe to say that in the seventies and leading up into the early eighties, besides a few pioneers, um, we're talking about, you know, bone white skeletons that, and, uh, and yellow tangs and queen angel fish and, um, I don't know, maybe some Florida hogfish, you know, just whatever you get kind of close by. And, you know, it would be a fowler without the live part. <laughs> yeah. It would be fish only with DS, dead skeletons, dead coral skeletons. <laughs> What's yeah, funny is those skeletons, they don't degrade, right? They just, unless they get broken up or thrown away, they, they, they make the, the rounds. They go around and around and around. Well, and then there was the old, um, you'd have like three sets and you have one in the tank that's getting mm-hmm. calcified. You have one that's bleaching and then you have one that's in a dechlorinator and you would cycle through them to keep your tank looking pretty and, wh- you know, white dead coral. 
Um, I think I remember the steel frame tanks were a big issue for marine keepers. Oh yeah. So going to the all glass silicone was like a big game changer for them. Um, I bet I bet that helped a lot. Not having your tank <laughs> rusting apart. But even so, in the 1950s volume that I'm reading, there's ads in there for you know high quality aluminum frame stands, guaranteed not to rust in fresh water. Right. So yeah. But I think the most high-tech thing you could expect from um, the early days of saltwater aquarium keeping would be maybe you know the equivalent of Iwaki pumps maybe not not maybe not that brand and some fluorescent lighting lots of air stones lots of salt creep and we are absolutely not the pair to be talking about those those ancient days but I think once we start getting into the 80s um, we have a lot more documentation there. So before, uh, before we started this episode, I, I went back to an awesome time capsule of photographs from 1984 um, that were, I believe they were shared by Alf Nilsson. And it's um, on Facebook, right? I think I saw those. Well, you, Reef Builders is where we publish our stuff and we share oh, the stories sorry. on Facebook. No, My you're bad. Okay. Reefbuilders.com. Yeah. Go to reefbuilders.com. Read Reef Builders. Um, but no, yeah, it was um, Alf Nelson showed those pictures on, on Facebook and then I kind of um, chimed in on all of them. And what they were doing there in 1984 is what Americans would get to in about 1994. <laughs> like it was a uh, lo- it was a long time coming. You don't think so? Well, so I think around, I want to say super late 80s, maybe 1990-ish is when I remember reading, like, for example, Julian and Fama start to talk about, like, the Berlin Method and defending Mm -hmm. it. You know, you had these diehard wet-dry guys that would write in to Reef Notes and, you know, strongly disagree about the fact that, like, live rock is not a biological filter and you need a trickle filter and blah, blah, blah. And it was a huge, like, contentious thing. Um, so you're probably right in the sense that mainstream adoption probably that, that's took what a I while. Mean. Of course, but, you have pioneers like Del Beacon Sprung and um, uh, John Burleson, who you know just trailblazed and showed p- other people what was possible. Yeah, he was but bringing man, in all the Tunzi stuff and Tunzi right? Dupla. Dupla. Um, oh man, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 incredible to see those reef tanks from '84 with Dietrich Stuber, who has the first documented Acropora grown in captivity. If I remember the story correctly, it sprouted from a piece of live rock. It wasn't even a colony that was imported. It I just happened. That story. I have one nice piece of the staghorn, which is way more colorful than the pictures I've ever seen. And I don't know if that's an artifact of um, the modern lighting. But yeah, you see these tanks, and it's just. Big colonies of Discosoma next to sarcophytons, next to bubble corals, next to uh, some trachophilia, and next to some feather dusters and some chili corals. Man, they threw the whole kitchen thing sink at those tanks. Well, and um, it wasn't just the filtration that was contentious with American reef keeping uh, lighting, right? I remember when they started talking about metal halides. Uh, People were very against metal halides for a while. They were they thought that the UV would kill the corals. Um, you know, there was a bit of a misunderstanding that single-ended had basically a UV filter built in, right? That outer glass, mm-hmm. whereas double-ended sort of a different story. Um, 
So there were arguments even on the, you know, everyone here was on the fluorescent bandwagon and they thought that these uh, halides were were potentially an issue. I remember they had reef tanks with also, uh, there was um, a Dupla, I think, was one of the people that sold it too, was a high-pressure sodium reef-keeping lights. Yeah, no, 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 no. No? But, um, no, I'm just saying no to that oh, idea. Yeah, no, okay. <laughs> no, to, I know what HPS is used for here in Colorado. Um, that is the yellowest light possible. If you want something really too close to the sun, you go to HPS. Um, but I yeah, have, I, mean, um, the, I know you. Sorry, you got me thinking about the the years of like whether we're getting that right because I've got uh, what's his name's books. Um, well, one thing that's safe to say is. For the longest time, we looked up and were inspired by the northern European reef aquarium community that was centered around Germany. But I know that like northern France, Belgium, the Netherlands, they just, man, they just crushed it. They did, I mean, they did stuff back then just because they, they, they were in tune with their tank. They probably didn't have the same kind of fundamental understanding um, of aquarium chemistry that we do today. Um, I don't even know if they had, you know, easy to use calcium test kits or alkalinity test kits that weren't made by Lamotte and cost, you know, $3 a pop to, to, to use. Um, but definitely in, for, Throughout the 90s, uh, the name of the game was like, how can we be more like the Germans? Yeah, the, uh, well, yeah, the, I mean, there, there's a reason why it's called the Berlin Method, right? Uh, because of that reef aquarium. You want to tell the readers what the Berlin Method is? The readers. Well, <laughs> you want to tell the viewers and listeners what the Berlin Method is uh, supposed to be? I'd say before I go there, if you take like the Dutch reef keeping at that time and how it differs... Um, one of the more common trends with the Dutch was they would still use dead coral skeletons instead of live rock. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were very soft coral heavy. They tended to be, I mean, that's a more of a stereotype and, you know, there's obviously exception to that rule and they were big on fluorescent lighting. Um, mm -hmm. Berlin method is pretty much where I think modern reef keeping has adapted from, right? I, I mean, in my, in my mind, every method is Berlin method. Modified. With some modifications, yeah. Yeah, with some tweaks. Um, but with, it was, with the three things. Yeah. So, well, okay. For me, it was obviously uh, your your live rock is your filter, right? Lots it's a biological of live rock. filter. Um, at the time, based on the articles I was reading, but I don't know if this is true anymore because I see plenty of these old pictures, like you mentioned. Um, bare bottom was highly. Uh, that's that was my understanding. You're totally right. That's a great point because you look at these old pictures. I'm like, those guys had sand. Yeah. Somehow in the translation, when I learned the Berlin method, right. it was no sand. Yeah. And what was the third thing? Uh, protein skimmer. Heavy or, protein skimming. Yeah. Now, see, we, we didn't even confer about this, but we remember these these uh, details the same. It was like a ton of live rock, no sand, and heavy, heavy protein skimming. Yeah, and, and uh, to, I guess to a lesser degree, maybe Kalkwasser. Yeah, although yeah. I mean, like I think the Lobeka reactor, the calcium reactor, also goes back quite a ways, right? Um, but really, what what these guys like, I, I and I bring up Julian, and I don't want to take credit away from anybody else, but I grew up reading FAMA, uh, Freshwater mm -hmm. Marine Aquarium. I guess we should mention what FAMA stands for. Um, I mentioned it. I said it. 
Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> and then on the Aquarium Fish Magazine side, you had Charles Delby. So those two guys were really the ones evangelizing the Berlin Method stateside, mm-hmm. which may seem foreign to people that grow up with the internet, where it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm what do you mean social side? <laughs> well, I'm like, yeah, I'm socializing with some dude in Iceland about reef keeping, and we're arguing about lights, you know, but. Um, a good analogy too for me is there's like a great documentary on surfing where all these people in California were flying to Hawaii to surf like these big waves and little did they know that like just north of them there's this one dude surfing this giant wave that nobody else knew existed called Mavericks right Mm -hmm. and so when these South California surfers found out about it it was like being a mountain climber and discovering there's an Everest in your backyard right but that's how localized communication was, right? So mm-hmm. if the Germans were doing something completely different in reef keeping, it wasn't like you were going on social media and going, oh, what's that, right? It's literally like somebody was writing letters, maybe on the mm-hmm. phone, paying expensive long-distance phone bills or traveling there and checking out reef tanks. And that's sort of what happened is they went over there. Um, excuse me. They went to these different countries. They became friends with these people. And then they started writing about it stateside. And people here are like, what? You want me to pull off my wet dry filter? Are you crazy? You know, so. One of the funny things about the ads in this particular issue of 1993 FAMA is um, the stepping stone to that is protein skimmer before your biological. <laughs> so all the sumps in here is a protein skimmer before the wet dry or before the bio bale. Um, CPRs in here or creative plastic research. But yeah, there was probably like a five-year lag Bef- you know, maybe like a one-year lag before like the information got over and like a five-year lag before that information was like really widespread. But it was interesting because it also led to unique styles. So, you know, before exactly. the hyperconnectivity that we have today, you know, Mark and myself could look at pictures of tanks, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and we can kind of pick them out. Like, oh, yeah, that's a German tank. That's a Japanese tank. That's a West Coast American tank. <laughs> yeah. They were very um, geographic, and you could tell just by uh, one of it was also the equipment, right? I mean, um, that was unmistakable. Yeah, and and man, you would lust after some of that equipment, right? I would lust after those. Oh, I don't want to go get get ahead of ourselves, but like, let's just take the Germans, right? Like they had, you know, H and S skimmers and 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 Grotex stuff and Giesman lights. Giesman lights were painted were, like oh. sports cars. I mean, I. As a, as a child getting uh, magazines from Debron Aquatics and, or, you know, catalogs and um, that fish place, um, did you see these pictures of these massive shiny pendants with special ballast and built-in T5 lights or fluorescent lights and built-in tiny mood lights? But they, I mean, they were crazy. They were really, really beautiful. That being said... The reefers that we looked up to, almost universally, it was all DIY. They knew how to, like, just put this stuff together. And so this uh, ready-made stuff wasn't for the masses. No, yeah. And even, I mean, predating that, do you remember, like, the super tall Sanders skimmers? Like, all these German tanks would have, like... Six foot tall. I'm probably exaggerating. Probably like a four foot tall oh, no, skimmer I don't next think you to are. the tank. <laughs> yeah, but four foot, five foot, six foot. Um, super heavy um, aeration to just like you know blow it out. Um, so for most of the 90s and early 2000s, man, we just really looked to uh, Europe 
for inspiration and ideas. When and how do you think the first like American style reef aquariums really materialized? What was your first notion of like an American style reef tank? Well, so I'll don't mention, don't say Julian again. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, uh, for me, America's contribution to reef keeping, also one that was highly contested in the beginning, uh, was al algal filtration, right? Refugiums and oh, algae turf scrubbers. Yes, that wasn't even on my radar, but yeah, the algae turf scrubber ATS, better erroneously known today as a refugiums but yeah the walter 80 um biological m method that's interesting so what did and you then the uh, ecosystem aquarium really popularized the Lerpa trend yeah. yep um which you know there was a bunch of c-scope articles about that which was a free little magazine flyer thing you get at the fish store Mike Letta um, was uh, a cheerleader for that. <laughs> yes. He was, he was on it like crazy. I still, you know, he's I still, still on it, I think, isn't he? He's still a miracle I, mud dude. He, he comes and goes. Oh, okay. Comes and goes. But yeah, okay. So that would be a really interesting contribution to the filtration side of things. Um, but I think still through the 90s, our reef tanks, well, our, our saltwater aquariums were either, um, you know, fish tanks with lots of coral skeletons or piles of rocks with just like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a handful of corals doing okay. Yeah. I mean, the other, for me, the things that started to kind of Americanize it on our end, um, well, obviously the algae filtration, which to this day is very popular. Mm -hmm. um, we did the ETS. Well, I was about to go there. Yeah. We oh, had, okay. Go, you go ahead. You go ahead. We had cheap electricity and the Europeans didn't, right? So... Mm. We would hook up a giant Iwaki skimmer or a Supreme Mag Drive 24 or whatever, and and, and we used downdraft skimmers, uh, Beckett skimmers. Um, we went for horsepower, right? I mean, yeah, that was a, a big that's thing. That's so American of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the needle wheel skimmers started trickling in, right? The the first one that was mainstream was the Euro Reef. <laughs> Remember that? Wasn't that the first um, one? Actually, you know, I would... No, no, the turbo floater. Turbo floater, right? Yeah. Aquamatic turbo floater. But that thing was around for 15 years? Yeah. It was around for a really long time um, before it was like, oh, this is how we should be doing it. I would say the first implementation of the needle wheel in a mass market would probably be the CPR Cyclone. Oh, CPR yeah. CPR backpack. Yeah. It would, you know, it was like a... Halfway step with that janky, you know, little Rio 600, Rio 800 with a kind of perforated impeller. Um, but yeah, the turbo floater was around for a real long time. And then Euro Reef like really pushed it on the equipment game. Yeah. Um, I have a couple Euro Reef skimmers, no pumps. <laughs> I, I always think of myself, oh yeah, I'm going to rebuild those the, one day. But like all the skimmers I have are like medium sized and plenty, <laughs> plenty, then more than I need. I remember buying my first Euro Reef skimmer and replacing my ETS with it, and that was a that was a big day. <laughs> but the, what oh, was man. the other brand? H and S. Does that ring a bell? Um, H and S skimmers. So H and S was is still a German company that makes very basic. Oh no, no, designs. sorry, yeah. Um, um, uh, da, 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 da. No, they were another the, downdraft was, skimmer company. Uh, marine uh, no, technical concepts. Uh, marine technical concepts That's with their high speed aeration skimmer. 
Yes, that's what the HSA. I, HSA. That's what I was thinking yeah, about. Okay. The HSA. That was actually the first custom reactor I ever used. Um, but like on the on the on the query and presentation side, you know, I would say I would say by and large, most of the successful American reef tanks in the late '90s to early 2000s were fully, you know, um, inspired by the European tanks. You know, it was like. What coral can we get to live, <laughs> basically? And if it lives, it'll grow like crazy, right? So, like, lots of cold corals, lots of sarcophytons, lots of shrooms, 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 shrooms. Um, yeah, and I'm, I would say, like, older American tanks looked a lot like um, European tanks that came before them. Yeah, I mean, on the on the European side, I guess I still we, – we, we forgot to mention the Jobert method that, that had its moment in the sun – um, and then on the American side, they took it and went, you know, sugar-sized deep sand bed for a bit there, which... Uh, oh, okay. I don't want to get, get too much into all the different methods. No, but, but uh, I would say that was a very American thing, the deep sand bed, you know. Yeah, they're basically I, The Japanese took it over for a bit, too. Like, every Japanese tank I saw would have, like, a six-inch sand bed. Um, but, yeah. Um, but I guess you might have... Um, thought more about this topic on the equipment side, which I feel like is a little easy, too easy to do. And I was thinking more about like just the overall aesthetic of the tank because it was a long, long time before people segregated their tanks into like, Oh, I have an acro tank or a shroom tank or a chalice or LPS aquarium. It was a long time before that came around. Yeah. I, I think, um, there was not really a uh, dominant type of coral that people would keep. It would just be a mixed bag, right? Um, Whatever you can keep. Right. Whatever you can keep, you know? And then it's funny too, because on like on a long enough timeline, you know, you'd be into the tank for like two, three, four, five years. And if you didn't tear it down, you might end up with a field of sinularia or cold coral <laughs> or palathoa. I've seen plenty of like, not neglected reef tanks, just un uncurated. It's like a garden that's just kind of let to grow. One thing takes over. You know, sometimes it's yellow polyps. A lot of times it's cinularia. Because I think cinularia because it can smother stuff. So I've seen plenty of examples of four to six foot fields of cinularia. Not the green one. Not the green one. Of course, it's not the green one. It was always the brown one. <laughs> yeah. Just just covering everything with big old mature fish. Well, I, I mean, honestly, if you're talking early 2000s, late 90s, that is when the SPS craze started, right? I mean, I remember I got into SPS, what was it, like 90, 98, 99? Um, so if we, if we, and I was a late bloomer, just, just right, a tiny bit. To that. Um, not really. I think you were right on time <laughs> because we weren't really fragging. We weren't getting frags. We weren't getting stony corals. But in the mid nineties, there was definitely this, um, uh, this notion that SPS corals can look great one day and the next day you come down and they, they're gone. They're totally gone without, you know, RTN had a much worse sound in the late 90s and early 2000s than it does today. You know, even today's RTN, you're just like, all right, well, it might be progressing slowly, but the whole colony is not evaporated all of a sudden. I think so. I think, uh, you know, um, there was a lot of people were very gun shy about even trying acroporas. And I think that the poslaporas and the bird's nest and the hide nose and just everything associated with them was just people were scared. 
they were definitely scared to to try their hand at um, what we would consider some of the stonier stony corals. Obviously, they always kept bubble corals and euphilias and elegances and and membrane corals of, of different varieties. But it was the SPS corals. They were like, ooh, you don't want you don't want to go there. So late '90s, we're just like, yeah, you know what? Let's go for it. <laughs> so I think you know, you and I both start dipping our toes there. I would that would probably be. You know, like like late '90s to early 2000s, when we start seeing this bifurcation of different aquarium types. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, you know, because even when I th- I'm trying to sit here and I think about the presence of Acropora in aquariums before then, it was always in a mixed setting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some Maybe of the tanks that pieces. I looked up to would be like, "Oh crap, they got a little Acropora growing in the corner there," you know, and it'd just be a cool thing, but. The, the move to having like an SPS dominant tank or I don't even think that soft coral tanks were a thing back then. That was just like it was SPS and then everything else, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, a soft coral tank. Yeah, soft coral tanks happened, right? Yeah. Like I said, like they would just kind of take over. But um, the first real differentiators when I would say, yeah, I'd say acros were the first group of corals that people felt – that they had to specialize they for. They had to, right? It was a they dedication. They had to. Yeah. Yeah. You had to get the brighter lights, the stronger flow, the calcium reactor. Um, that was all about that NOP back in the day. I think that was probably the first popular successful one here in the United States. Um, yeah, that was a good unit. It had an E-hind pump and everything. Um, what's What's funny is like, today the freshwater aquarium hobby, hobby is incredibly segregated. Right, the South American cichlid keepers don't talk to the Central American cichlid keepers, who don't talk to the discus people, who don't talk to the angelfish people, who don't talk to the dwarf cichlid people. We're just talking about cichlids from one continent, right? Then if you talk, go to Africa, it's like, oh, Tanganyikans over in this corner, Malawi guys over in another corner, and then the two or three persons left over are playing with their Victorian cichlids. I was about to say and the late Victorian guys are always the odd ducks, right? Yeah, they are. They are well because all their fish are going extinct. <laughs> well, and they're not always, no offense to Victorian fans, but they're not as pretty. No, 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 absolutely not. No, I love all fish in, in yeah. great condition. But yeah, you see this pattern of, it's like part segregation, part specialization, where once upon a time, all the reefers talk to each other. And now it's like, all right, you want to talk about zoanthids? Do you want to talk about shrooms? Do you want to talk about monies? Do you want to talk about acros? Then even within the acros now, like I have high light acros and I have very low light acros and I keep, you know, I talk to anybody about anything, but I keep them totally separated. Yeah. And I, you brought up a good point. Cause I mean, I think I was pretty focused on the gear, but it was more than just gear. Um, when we talk about, um, in the one interest res- drove the gear and the gear drove the interest. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and what's interesting is you see a segregation by uh, the, the type of corals people are into sometimes. Sometimes people have multiple tanks dedicated to different things. Now everybody thinks a mixed reef is hard, even though that's what all we did for decades. I would um, agree. I would still, I'm still I, kind of I'm in not, that camp. I, I disagree. I, I've never <laughs> had a problem with that, but then I don't know. I'm, you know, maybe if you're really pushing every coral to the edge, then you're compromising somewhere. So I get it. But, um, but then there's the, um, I mean, you talked about the homogenization. 
there's definitely compartmentalized groups when it comes to types of corals. Um, but there's less of that geographic distinction, which comes again, there's the age of communication, right? And social media has changed a lot. The fact that equipment is not as, um, balkanized, right? Like, uh, Germans are running ecotechs now and, you know, everything's available everywhere. Uh, so you see, I mean, so, let's, let's just get this out of the way today. The best reef aquarium equipment is American. Yeah, where it used to be European. Absolutely. It totally inverted. And that's um, not an attack on European equipment. I still think, like, well, I'm a huge fan of Tunzi, right? I'm a huge fan right. of a Tunzi lot of Tunzi is one of those few exceptions of, the, of a company that's really kept up with the time. They make their own innovations. They have their fans and their markets. Um, but by and large, you know, all the, the major LED light manufacturers – I mean, are, are American. I mean, I'm not taking away from the GHL Mitris or. Well, and <laughs> you're talking about lights, but what about skimmers and pumps? Because the a lot of that stuff is derived out of Asia now, and it's good. You know. Yeah, okay. All right. Let me let me roll it back just a little bit. CJ makes some awesome pumps, and Ultra Reef makes some awesome skimmers. Um, but a lot of the equipment. I mean, American. I feel that the the scene. It's almost like pop culture. Right, because everything is so connected now, America has exported so much pop culture that it's influenced and been integrated with a lot of different cultures around the world. And I feel like it's kind of like the same thing. Aquarium culture um, has been exported from America and has a lot of influence on everybody else. But I'll, I'll give it to I'll give it to Tunzi and and CJ because they've just been making quality stuff and kind of marching to the beat of their own drum for a long time. Granted, you know, it took a while for both of those companies kind of finally get with the times with controllable pumps and wireless programming. Well, what about, um, you know, some of the stuff that Coral View brings in and stuff like the, um, the gyre pumps and, uh, okay. Okay. Like oh, yes, and- sure. Yes, sure. But the max spec was inf- heavily influenced by some, uh, water flow articles back in the mid two thousands. So you could argue that, you know, that was exported. All right. I'm not trying to say that the only America has it. Let's right. get back to the, I'm here. I'm going to get in trouble. No, here. But, um, Let's get back to the different types of tanks. Um, I think what I'm running into is that, um, to me, you know, it would be, fu- it was always fun back in the day to click on somebody's um, little post on a forum or something or read an article about somebody's aquarium and see how they do things differently. And mm-hmm. there's that's still true to an extent, but a much lesser extent, right? You click on a tank and it's like, oh, it's running radions. Oh, I know that skimmer. Oh, I know that's a Red Sea tank. And then, oh, okay, you're really into SPS, right? And there was, there's less DIY, there's less geographic kind of things. Um, things cooking in a pot by itself, right? Like like the Germans are right. the, the Germans it's, it's are over not, here doing some weird stuff. Like what the hell are they doing? You, you know, it's like it's all the same now. And and it's um again, maybe this is my get off my long comment for the podcast. We have to but have it's one like every every episode. at least one. <laughs> but um yeah, it's all kind of the same now. You know, you get on Instagram and you know it's uh I get excited when somebody plops a mangrove in. I'm like, oh that's different, you know <laughs> But that's about you know, as far which, as we get, you know. My mangrove grove is like full. 
Is it? It's like it's super thick. Like a couple of the trees are starting to crack, like you know, the top of the tank. Oh, and snap. I'm gonna have to look at getting some new lights to light them up, special especially. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we we might have skimmed over to like uh, you know the Acropore dominated tanks of the 2010s, and you know, people got into Zoanthids and they got more into the Lords and LPS. Um, but yeah, now it's not uncommon to see a, a tank that almost had some Dutch freshwater aquarium, uh, inspiration where like, and this is, I totally adhere to this. Euphelia's in one corner, Micromusa Lords in another corner, um, maybe chalices, you know, in a shaded, you know, protected areas and all the highlight stuff on top. I, I'm, I'm so down with that, but, um, but yeah, you, now you see it over and over again and uh i would say what typifies the the current state of things is collectoritis people yeah. acquire things and they have a lot of corals and i would say maybe like one in 20 tanks has really thriving corals having a coral and kind of growing it is not the same as making stimulating it to blossom Every well, I think coral. we said it in like our last podcast that some of the coolest things I've seen have been in like a doctor's office because the corals just grow buck wild and there's a guy that yeah. shows up once a week, you know, but um, yeah. Um, I'm actually really highly motivated to go visit a lot of um, aquarium maintenance service tanks because they're not, you know, once a tank is established, they're not adding more than like six corals a year to that tank. You know, maybe 12 if it's a giant it tank. Like a time capsule, you know. <laughs> Yeah, in reef yeah, keeping go, lineage. Go find some old corals that are just kind of living and growing and not being loved or appreciated or worshipped like they should be. Um, you know, some doctor's office or some, you know, random office. Did I tell you I went to Spiderco recently? Spiderco no. is a knife company. Yeah. Very popular with knife enthusiasts. Um, their factory's here in Golden, but they have a retail outlet. Uh, yeah, they have like a 75-gallon tank, full full reef totally set up and i when i as soon as i saw it like i knew who set it up because i know his style and i know like the equipment he uses but it had two of their um like hyper rust resistant knives in the aquascape they had been in there for three years like not even a hint of pitting um but yeah there was like i don't know 20 25 corals in there all huge and looking amazing the only reason that the only reason i didn't snap a photo is because i didn't have my um uh, you know, yellow orange filters because it's got, I think, two Radeon XR15 Gen 4s on it. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, kind of winding it down, we're seeing. Well, so I have two questions for you because yes. I feel like you're an expert now um, on this more than I am. Um, one, uh, radio, radiums, the blue spectrum, right? Was that an American thing? Because the first person I heard to start really going with blue bulbs was uh, Steve Tyree back in the day. So was mm. that, um, did that originate stateside before it went to Europe or the European guys mostly just 10K? I don't think I can comment on that because okay. the, like we said, it was so insulated. Like who's to know how many people in Europe saw those bulbs and loved them? Clearly, you know, the bluer lighting was championed by a succession of different people that became increasingly bluer. Right. You know, um, um, but, but nowadays, uh, you know, I see tanks inspired by Instagram being built and designed to succeed on Instagram. 
And like, I think there's one example of a guy, it's like coral fish zoo or something or fish coral zoo, amazing looking aquarium, absolutely technically infeasible. Right. It's like, yes, you can put those corals next to each other for about two weeks. <laughs> you know, when you got a blasto next to an acro, next to a gorgonia, next to a chalice. Yeah, you can put together this collage of living corals that looks freaking crazy visually on Instagram. But there's a reason that his first attempt was up for like three or four months or maybe a year. And then he took it down and did another one. But that's not something to aspire to. I don't know. On the one hand, it's cool that people are appreciating a wider range of uh, aquarium coral groups. But on the other hand, it's like, I want to see some big two-handed corals. Mm-hmm. I want to see a you know four-foot tank with 10 corals. <laughs> 10 corals in it. Like, let's get, because you're missing so much. You know, the coral is a multidimensional animal. You have the frag, you have a small colony, and it's not until things get a foot across or, I mean, at least some appreciable size that you really start to see the distinguishing characteristics of a Acropora prostrata from an Acropora millipora. You cannot tell apart the frags. You cannot tell them apart until they're like five inches across. And you're like, oh, that's a prostrata. That's a millipora. That's a spatulata. Well, so we're, yeah, we're, we're like frags we're used to be like the downer part of reef keeping is like, crap, I got to grow this frag out. You know, like I got to be patient. And now it's like there's tanks that are just frags. Only frags. Like they're dedicated frags. to frags. Like they're the thing now. Like the the eventual thing the coral becomes is less of a thing. Um, the other thing I think is that there's still this operating in absolutes, right? It's like, oh, I have a fish only with live rock. I have a reef tank and what I don't understand and I've seen some people do it and do it and it's awesome um, is why not kind of skirt the edge, right? Go for fish that are risky with corals and then invest in corals that are cheap, soft corals. They're noxious, you know, things that fish don't want to eat, you know, Mm -hmm. throw a bunch of uh, green cinellaria all over the tank put in some cool butterfly fish and have a cool tank, right? Like there seems to be like this, um, this operating in like absolutes and not realizing there's like some middle ground. Um, but the other question I had for you is you've traveled way more. You've seen more international reef tanks than I have in, in recent years. Do you still see some differences or something unique that maybe is a result of culture or just, um, I don't know. You know, like I, I you've written I about say. reefs in Dubai, you've been to Asia, Australia. I'm just, I've always been curious, like, what are your observations about how these different countries, do they have different trends or, you know, how, how so, they. So th- this is not yeah. the last word on this topic, right? This is probably not the last time we'll talk about it. But um, I would say that the Europeans, um, they share a lot of corals, just like us. So mm-hmm. every tank is going to have something like a green slammer and a milk stylo. I think milk stylo is like totally supplanted the green slammer as a beginner SPS. Um, so I would say the Europeans are still growing larger corals. You know, they have few corals and they're larger. Um, Americans, a uh, lot of collecting. A lot of collecting. They're going to have, a f- they're always going to have frag racks on the front glass, on the side glass, on the back glass, in the sump. They got to have the frags, got to have them everywhere. You know, it's just like acquire, acquire, acquire. And that's probably where you see the 
the least amount of of development and maturity in the coral colonies this is an american scene because they're everybody's still so busy getting this piece and getting that piece and it's, eh, it's kind of a function of capitalism um let's see in australia man they just they don't even know how good they have it man they don't buy they don't really have frags so much as they can buy a colony of nice fresh wild great barrier reef stuff for you know 30 to 50 dollar 50 australian dollars um i don't think i've ever seen a, a coral in australia besides goalies that was over 100 bucks although you know everything is coming up with the times um and in asia you know they're really Man, they want their tank to look like super striking on day one. So they, I think they they are probably most to um, credit for like these really creative aquascapes, which on the one hand are really interesting, but also takes away and reduces the room for corals to grow. You know, um, yeah. Is that is that a good I, answer? Yeah, I mean, the one <laughs> I mean, thing, one thing seen... I would say is in Italy. God, I think some of the best tanks, I know I've talked to a few other people, some of the best tanks I've ever seen were in Italy because they would have one tank and I, I just think it's, it's, it's beyond culture. It's like between their genetics and their culture, the eye for design and aesthetics is just part of being Italian. The Italian reef tanks impressed me the most, just mm. the presentation, the aquascape, the size of the corals. Um, yeah. <laughs> those those tanks were freaking awesome. I would go back to Italy to go to go see like you know tour some uh, some home reef tanks a lot more. Yeah, the only thing I've seen or noticed from afar is like with the Japanese SPS tanks, it's much more maricultured size colonies that they mm -hmm. fill up the tank with, you know, versus starting with uh, little half inch frags. Um, yeah, and to your argument about the frag collection thing. I think the tough part about that is is that it doesn't show your chops, right? Um, let's say I was true? into orchids, you know, and I just, every time the orchid died, I just put a new orchid up and I was like, I really like orchids, right? And I take pictures of it. Whereas I think when you grow these things out and you see the maturation of a reef, that's the flex, right? Like that's showing like, hey, I've, I've figured this hobby out and I'm enjoying it and I know how to take care of these corals properly. Whereas if you just show me 3 billion frags, I'm wondering, one, where all these corals are going to grow into, and two, yeah. um, usually you don't see something three years later that uh, looks great and is grown in. You know, the, or, the, the problem with the gram and the socials and the tubes, doesn't matter how you got there. Yeah. You, can, you can say it after the fact, but if your thumbnail is super eye-catchy or your, you know, your photo is like just really flattering people are not even going to read the description <laughs> you know there's like oh my god that's amazing and sometimes you might even have some uh some photoshop like literally pieced together uh you know aquascapes that people are gonna be like loving it not realizing that but you know it's super easy to point the finger and wag the finger at you know things that we don't agree with but one thing that it's really important to take in is that we have the luxury that the aquarium hobby is so popular now and so successful that it has branched off in every single direction, right? It would be, it would be no fun if everybody was held to like a militant standard, right? Um, and 
a broken clock is was right two times a day or something, right? So if people keep throwing stuff against the wall, eventually you're like, oh, hey, that's really freaking awesome. You know, even though they didn't realize how how unique it is what they're doing. You know, certain stuff like, um, what do they call it? The uh, negative space aquascape. Is that what's called? An essay? Is that, is that? Yes. You've seen that around, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, yeah, I did a reef tank with just a coral like 10 years ago. Is that negative enough for you? Um, but, you know, the, the NSA stuff, the floating reefscape is super cool. Um, so with with more experimentation, there is a lot more inspiration. Some of it is kind of silly and some of it is maybe misplaced and just kind of vying for attention. And other stuff, you know, people put a lot of work into it and, and, and they have a winner. They have a, like a winning recipe, winning strategy. So... I mean, yeah, and I mean, there's always transitions and sometimes the transition period isn't great, but something good comes out of it. Right. So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, get in the time machine and where, what does this hobby look like in 10 years? Um, and I, I know we bounced around a lot cause we tend to do that when we get, you know, on, on a subject and we probably should have covered like leaching at leaching Eng from Indonesia. We probably should have talked a bit more about Japanese tanks and, how they were kind of different when we started to see pictures of those things. But um, in the end, I mean, that's 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 kind of what's fun about, I think, us talking about it is we'll, we'll go down a rabbit All hole and start talking place. about it, right? I mean, so. I think the most important thing is, is that we have the luxury – of dissecting all these different branches of the reef aquarium tree. And it's, it'll be super interesting to see which directions, which branches continue growing, which ones kind of are offshoots that aren't going to work. You know, um, some examples of, of, of different types of tanks that had small moments would be like, um, non-photosynthetic coral tanks, which I've done a yeah. couple times. And in my book, this just is not a reef tank. It's a totally different animal because everything about it is different. Low light, high flow, tons of feeding. Um, but so you don't want, you don't want those, the kind of fish that are going to steal the food from, from your NPS corals, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, no, we have that luxury of, of being able to criticize. It could totally be a, a, a very different situation where the hobby was just like struggling and there was one way to do it. But I think, you know, you and I being uh, middle-aged reefers, we're always going to be most impressed with grown-out tanks. Like I don't even care if you grow it from a frag or from a colony, if it's big and large and luscious and you had it for a long time and kept it alive, that's always going to resonate with me more than a colorful fruit stand of very contrasting colors. Whereas contemporary reefers who've been in it for the last five or 10 years, they might be more impressed with, you know, a, a lot of clash of colors and shapes and textures and, you know, to each his own, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think there's room for everything and everybody. Right. Um, yeah. I love what the nano people are doing. Uh, you know, I love that nano reef forums have biotope subforums, right? I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. That's really neat. Let's you go. Know, somebody. Let's go. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a, that's a, their, their, their finite amount of space pushes their creativity, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, um, it's come a long way, right? It's, I, I think that's the, maybe that's the point of all this is that there was a time where we didn't know how to keep stuff alive there was a time where we didn't know what how to keep water chemistry right i mean yeah. we were arguing about 
uh, nitrate factories and, 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 you know, whether a wet dry was needed to keep everything alive and, um, denitrification was like this mystical thing that like at one point, <laughs> like people questioned whether it was possible in a tank, you know? Um, yeah. um, we've come a long way where we're not debating. Now people are like debating lights, but at the end of the day, I think every light that your, you know, your favorite reef retailer sells will grow you coral, very colorful. Whereas I don't, there was I don't a think time there's light where, on the market that won't. Right. But there was a time, right? Like there was a time where you had to wire like, ballast together and figure that, it out. That's not going to work. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, um, fun, the, the, the fun part about this, ep, this session of reef therapy for you and me is that, um, you know, late 90s, having a discussion about different types of tanks would have been a non-starter. Like, what do you yeah. mean different types of tanks? I keep a reef tank. I keep whatever will grow in it. <laughs> there wasn't a preference. There was no direction. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's cool to see the experimentation. Um, I just, uh, I do want to push back a little bit on the tanks that are a little bit heavily inspired by how many likes they get on Instagram versus what they like. What they simply just visually, um, you know, like to see from day to day. Well, and it makes sense from that perspective of, Hey, I'm going to grow this coral, this tank out for three years, and then I'll post it on Instagram. Like, I guess that doesn't yes. really work with that culture, right? <laughs> so, yes. Uh, well, I think we've, we've discussed, we've touched on this before, but I think yeah. uh, you know, the old salts have been doing it for a long time. They look at the reef tank every day and they don't, you know, to them, it's just like, eh, it's just a decent reef tank. The thing I'll tell you though, is like every one of my reef tanks, if I had never seen them before, I would lose my mind. I'd never seen one of them. But because I see them every day for two or three years, you know, the mangrove tank, soft coral, euphilia, LPS tank, the flagship reef, the Red Sea tank, the uh, Australian-inspired Cade Aquarium, any one of those, if I just like stumbled upon it, I would be like, oh my God, that is amazing. But I see them all the time. So I think it's probably the same, very similar for, you know, these basically, you know, like the maintenance guys, they've been doing that same tank for five, 10 years. It's like, oh yeah, it looks, looks normal. But when you reset your baseline and you look at it with fresh eyes you're like oh my god you've achieved something amazing yeah that's very true it's, you, you um, know one thing i will say too is having all these specialists justin zoanthus justin montes justin lps justin chalice justin different groups of acros that has is what has led us to this current future where there's so many varieties of monopora so many varieties of zoanthids you can't even tell them apart so many varieties of just tenuous and so that is one of the probably the the, the best part about having all these specialists and all these people um you know looking for the next greatest thing you know it, in the moment it's like kind of painful to watch when people are kind of reaching to create a method or to name a coral um but the best stuff really does you know remain standing at the end of the day and um you know corals like the jack-o-lantern leptoceras that wasn't like leptoceras wasn't even on the map right like 10 years ago and now now look how many corals strains of just leptoceras slash lithophylon are available for purely encrusting purposes right we didn't yeah. keep any encrusting corals that weren't green star polyps Back in the day, there was nothing encrusting, <laughs> but now we have so much variety of all these different corals. It is definitely uh, the best time to be a reef aquarist, and I don't want to give people the impression that we're sitting here like you know nagging or wagging our finger too much. But um, no, it, no, yeah, it, I I just would like it's more of a wish list of what I would like to see, and it's not that I want to go back in time, but 
I'd like to see more thematic reef keeping, right? Like I brought up biotopes, but you don't even have to go there. I remember um, somebody said, hey, I'm going to set up, uh, maybe it was you, um, a Montipora-focused aquarium, right? I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. That's kind of different, that. right? It's going. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I, I think is interesting. And some of those guys obviously are already doing that, right? If they're hyper-focused on zoanthids or, or mushrooms or whatever, but... Um, yeah, I just would like that. That's the stuff that I find interesting, right? Because the equipment's all the same. So it's not like how you reef keep it is interesting because it's like we're all kind of doing the same thing now. Okay, you dose, I use a calcium reactor or vice versa. But I mean, we all use the same equipment now, you know, for the most part. Or of we, you and I may run different lights, but I, your lights are not something I've never seen before. So right, for right. me, it's, um, and then, and now the tanks, we've talked about that. The tanks are the same, right? Everybody's got a red, like if everybody has a red sea everybody's tank a, or. has a high clarity, rimless, you know. Plumbing's ready. Everything's already put together same. for you. So the, the, the differentiators has to be the, I agree. I would love to see mature corals because man, there is nothing like a healthy mature coral. But I also Big just would like coral. to see that expression within go further right if everybody does nsa it's not that cool anymore if every tank has nope. it right so <laughs> that's anyway. a fair point that's a fair point i guess that that is the natural cycle of things as these fads become ubiquitous then they're not novel and then it's on to the next thing so all right i think, I think we i think <laughs> we've beaten this one to death <laughs> <laughs> I think we did a, a good, fun job. It was it was kind of cool to zig and zag and talk yeah. about the different types of tanks and equipment geographically, temporarily, and currently. So, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Well, do you have any closing thoughts, Mark? No, I mean, I, I I love our tangents. I, I do, you know, hope people that are new to reef keeping look, look up things like look, look up the history a bit like the Berlin method or or even uh, we didn't talk about Lee Chin you know from Indonesia who was mm -hmm. again he was like the Mavericks wave surfer guy that nobody knew about right he's he had an airstone and live rock and was growing coral when everybody was like you can't keep coral and that's not possible and it was like 30 years later and like oh he might have been onto something yeah you know it, it's interesting trust me if you go google that stuff go read about that stuff it'll make you appreciate your tank and the hobby and why you have a skimmer and why why am i doing this why am i doing that like it all kind of it didn't just happen right it's like it was a sense of discovery and evolution and you'll appreciate it more i think so yeah, absolutely. So you tell them to Google it. And uh, my, my parting word is um, go to eBay and type in, I don't know, vintage aquarium magazine. Oh, yeah. And just pick up a couple issues from the 80s or early 90s. And I mean, it'll cost you, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 bucks shipped um, to get, you know, some older famos. And just take a look inside and just see what they're selling and what they're talking about. And it, I think it will instill such a greater sense of appreciation for how slick our equipment has become, how just how much more the performance has increased and diversity of corals is like, is, is, and fish is, is through the roof. So, yeah, it's a good time to be a reefer. It is. It's a really good time. All right, Mark. Well, Thanks for uh, spearheading this latest session of Reef Therapy, and uh, we'll get at it on the next session. All right, man. It was good to uh, it was good to chat again. And uh, for those of us, uh, for those of you who are listening on various podcasts, make sure you like it and rate it. And uh, you know, if you catch us on YouTube, 
I guess what's the what do they say? Hit that like button. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Wait, wait, no, what is it? Um, uh, like it if wait. Thumbs up if thumbs if you liked it. Subs if you loved it. <laughs> oh, and I I, think I, I promised my daughter I would say this. My, it's my daughter's birthday today, so happy birthday, Elise. Happy birthday, Elise. All right, thanks, everyone. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Thanks.